Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Total Score Podcast. I'm Ori Benatar, and uh, yeah, last pod we did was about two weeks ago after the Super Bowl, went on vacation, and we're, we're back on a regular schedule, essentially, as uh, we're in that middle period, post-Super Bowl, pre-March Madness, but guess what? Sports is really interesting right now. There is a lot going on, and uh, we're going to be talking about a good amount of it here on this podcast. And if you do like the podcast, and if you like Total Score in general, make sure to follow us on our Instagram account, at Total Sports Score, where we're posting all kinds of stuff, including we are in the midst of our most unbreakable individual record in sports every day, two new matchups that you can vote in our stories and you can also check out the previous matchups in our highlighted stories down below in our profile. Also check out totalsportscore.com. And our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. And, you know, this is supposed to be sort of the quiet period in in American sports for the most part. You start to get a good amount of soccer going on because league title races start to heat up. We'll get to that. Um, But there's a lot going on in terms of scandal, controversy. I mean, this week, Major League Baseball might have just had one of its worst weeks ever, and the NBA just had one of its best weekends ever in Chicago for All-Star Weekend. And I want to start with NBA All-Star Weekend because, you know, you want to start on a positive note. We have a lot of scandals to talk about with the Astros and with Manchester City, but I thought it was fitting that we should start with the NBA because... We had ourselves a very entertaining All-Star Weekend with drama, excitement, intensity on all levels. And I think it's fitting that we start with the All-Star Game itself. And the new format worked a charm. It was very exciting to watch. You see the intensity of the players with the target score. The fourth quarter, that is the best quarter, the best period that I've seen in an NBA All-Star Game, period. And... I think it was probably the best All-Star game I've seen in any sport, you know. NHL have had some exciting All-Star games in the past, but you never feel that same level of intensity. Major League Baseball, when home field advantage was up for grabs for the World Series, you could sense there was some intensity in a couple of those games. The Pro Bowl is just an absolute pathetic joke. Jalen Ramsey's like, we got to do something about it right after the NBA All-Star game ended. But NBA went out on a limb. They went for the new format. Uh, The whole uh, three-quarter thing, They got to switch that up a little bit because that's essentially where the intensity was just not there. The first two quarters felt like, you know, a regular old NBA All-Star game. Nobody playing defense. Every play is either a three or an alley-oop opportunity. Three-on-one fast breaks. The third quarter started to get a uh, a little heated because, you know, the winner of each of the three quarters, uh got their charity $100,000, and Team LeBron won the first quarter, Giannis' team won the second quarter, and then the third quarter, it got so uh, hyped up because essentially it's like, okay, I can win my charity, you know, those, it'd be two to one, but it ended up being a tie, and Nikola Jokic hit a big three uh, to earn that tie for Team LeBron, so it ended up being a 41-41 tie, and then that target score adding 24 to the 133 that Giannis's team scored in the third quarter. And then it was just a dogfight. It was just an intense defensive battle with the best players in the world on display. Team Giannis getting those 24 points. Uh, team LeBron, who was down and had to earn more points, ended up winning the game. And Team LeBron, three years LeBron has been one of the captains of this the new all-star format, not East v. West. Captains picking teams. Team LeBron has always won the All-Star game. I think LeBron has always drafted the better teams every single year. But 
That that fourth quarter, that's what you envision as a kid. That's what you want to see. You when you play like NBA 2K or NBA Live, when you're a kid, you love to play those all-star games. You know, I, I can remember the days when I played NBA Live on my computer and you'd have the most intense games with the best all-star teams. You know, in the West, you have like Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant, Yao Ming, and in the East, it's like LeBron and Melo and Steve Francis and Vince Carter, Shaq, and they're, you're just going at it. Same with NBA 2K now. You know, you love playing those all-star games and you love just having the best players and just having that intensity. And that's what this game felt like. And finally, in real life, we got what we we dreamed of as a kid. When you're a kid and you want to, you know, have your perfect basketball game, you imagine a fourth quarter like this. Giannis checking on LeBron. Kyle Lowry taking charges on Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. You know, uh, Rudy Gobert going up for alley-oops from the likes of Kemba Walker and Devin Booker going up for putbacks, Chris Paul catching an alley-oop, and Giannis getting blocks, Joel Embiid backing down on LeBron, doing a dream shake and making a shot on LeBron. So it was just a pleasure to watch. The reaction from it is incredibly positive. The one change I will make, though, I saw this suggestion uh, circulating around Twitter, is you want to make it pickup style, then you can't end the game on a free throw. So I think a lot of people were upset about that when Anthony Davis made that free throw essentially to win the game for Team LeBron. You think to yourself, that's not how you you don't win a pickup game off of a free throw. You don't even have free throws in pickup games. You check the ball back up. So I think that would be a very cool addition where in that fourth quarter with a target score. Now I don't I think 24 is too many points to add to the target score. I get it for this year for Kobe Bryant, obviously, but I think in the future, maybe make it to 21, 20 points because when you've got the best players in the world and some of the best defenders in the world all playing at 100%, 110% basically, it's a struggle to get to, to 24, 30 so points. That's why the fourth quarter took uh, as long as it did. I think it took a little bit longer than your average fourth quarter. There were a lot more fouls. You had a couple challenges, some reviews in there as well. So I think they should just... No free throws in the fourth. Don't do free throws in the fourth quarter and just do check check ball. You know, you get fouled and the team gets it at uh, top of the key and you run a play and you get like uh, an 18-second shot clock at, at that point. So just some tweaks. I thought for the first time going with the new format worked out well, but a few new tweaks and you can make it even more exciting. And this weekend proved once and once again that the NBA has the best All-Star weekend, not just for its All-Star game itself, which Kawhi Leonard won the first ever Kobe Bryant MVP award. He was red hot from downtown, 30 points, played just like a normal game of basketball. So Kawhi Leonard's been just taking all the trophies now, joining a, probably a select group of players to win All-Star game MVPs and NBA Finals MVPs. But the NBA All-Star weekend is also the best for the amount of events and how exciting those events are. And NBA All-Star Saturday Night once again delivered. We had another incredible dunk contest. This time, Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon went toe-to-toe. And for the second time, Aaron Gordon got robbed. And that was clear as day. Uh, you dunk over a seven foot five taco fall and you don't win. That is very surprising. Now, granted, Derek Jones Jr. was very impressive. His through-the-legs dunks making him on the first try, the power he generated from it. But you look at dunk to dunk for the six dunks for each of those guys. Derek Jones Jr. is about a foot and a half inside the free throw line, doing a powerful left-handed windmill. Very impressive. But we've seen better. 
people forget a lot, but in 2011, Sergi Baca actually dunked from behind the free throw line. If you look at that dunk from the 2011 dunk contest, check it out on YouTube. He literally has his foot. His toe is behind the line. So that is technically the longest dunk in an NBA dunk contest history. And then Zach Levine had his three free throw line dunks where he had probably his toe ahead of the free throw line, maybe half of his foot, but those were free throw line dunks. He did a legit free throw line dunk just straight on. He did a, I think a windmill and uh, through the legs to beat Aaron Gordon. And that makes sense, even though Aaron Gordon was robbed in 2016, but he was even more robbed in 2020 because Derek Jones windmill didn't get a 50 understandable. I wouldn't have given that a 50. That's like a 9.5 in my eyes, but you dunk over taco fall, man, besides getting the crowd into it, the presentation of the dunk, like it was so spontaneous. He's just like taco, man, come here. Let me jump over you. Does it on the first try, clears him without using his back, does a two-hand dunk, and everyone's like, Taco ducked. Guys, when Taco's ducking, he's still 7'3". Give me a break. He makes Shaq look like a normal-sized person. And Aaron Gordon dunked over him on the first try without using his back. That's a 50. That should win you the dunk contest. So everyone was upset about that. Aaron Gordon was robbed. But even though he was robbed, it was an incredible dunk contest. For me, second best behind 2016. But the fact that the two best dunk contests of all time, Aaron Gordon has had some of the best dunks we've ever seen in the dunk contest, and he's never going to win a dunk contest because he said he's done. And I would be too. If I was robbed twice after having some of the most creative best dunks in dunk contest history, I wouldn't compete anymore. Uh, in terms of the rest of the night, Buddy Heald got hot. I like the new addition of the Mountain Dew shot. It kind of shook things up a little bit with the three-point contest, uh, made it a little more... Uh, exciting, just, you know, throw off the rhythm a little bit. And there were some great performances. You know, Buddy Heald and Devin Booker got hot. Uh, Devin Booker actually set the record for the most threes made in a round. 20 made threes in his first round. But Buddy Heald, two rounds where he shot, I think, over 25 in each round. Fantastic from him. And then Bam Adebayo coming out of nowhere, winning the skills competition. So two Miami Heat players. Dwayne Wade was a little biased, I will admit. And he was a judge in the dunk contest, so who knows. Um, and then in the Rising Stars Challenge, a big win for Team USA. Miles Bridges, the MVP. Some nice plays between the likes of John Morant and Zion Williamson. Luka Doncic hitting a half-court shot at the buzzer at the end of the first half. And Trey Young loving it. So it was a fantastic All-Star weekend. A lot of great tributes to for Kobe, Gigi, and David Stern. And no NBA until Thursday now, so that's kind of unfortunate. It could have been a great day in sports on Sunday with the Daytona 500, but sadly, the Daytona 500 is uh, postponed until today, this afternoon. So um, we'll see how that race is going to go down. But you go from a fantastic weekend in the NBA, and Major League Baseball is having a literal nightmare with the Astros scandal, which every single day something new is popping up, whether it's a developing story from the scandal, a reaction from a player not on the Astros, a reaction from a player on the in the Astros organization, an Astros press conference with just ridiculous answers, and then on Sunday, you know, it hit the fan with the answers and some of the quotes that Rob Manfred, you know, gave about this scandal. And some of the things, you know, some of the tweets that I was liking and just to kind of summarize. So Manfred was asked about the buzzers and uh, sort of uh, 
his answers on it were the MLB was aware of this before the investigation. So the MLB had an inkling before they started investigating the whole trash can system with the cameras that the Astros might have been using buzzers. Since he felt players were honest about 2017 and 2018, it was hard to figure out why they'd lie about 2019. And is he 100% sure there were no buzzers? He's not. He's not telling us some stuff. And then there was another quote. This is a legitimate quote. For me, this is kind of a, a big sign that Rob Manfred is not the right person to run baseball. The idea of an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal back seems like a futile act. This is in response to the punishments. By the way, Manfred stands behind the punishments that he gave to the Houston Astros organization. And in response to, you know, not stripping their championship, he said the idea of an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal back seems like a futile act. People will always know that something was different about the 2017 season. And whether we made that decision right or wrong, we undertook a thorough investigation and had the intestinal fortitude to share the results of that investigation, even when those results were not very petty. So you're telling me that the commissioner of baseball is saying the uh, it's a futile act to put an asterisk next to a championship when it's just giving back a piece of metal. That's what you think of the World Series. It's just giving back a, a ring. No. You know what a World Series means, man? For the players, the coaches, the fans, the city itself? That's a significant event in the history of, of the Houston city as a whole. In the whole history of Houston, in the year 2017, they will say, in 2017, for the first time ever, our baseball team won a world championship. And now, because you're not willing to strip that title when the team clearly cheated, and now you've got stories of Jose Altuve having a tattoo that his wife didn't want being shown, and Carlos Correa's like, nah, man, he had a tattoo, he wasn't wearing a buzzer. Give me a break! What am I supposed to believe anymore? I'm not going to trust the Astros players or their owners because they didn't really apologize for cheating. They were sorry that they got caught. That's basically what happened in the press conference. And now you got the commissioner of baseball treating the World Series like it's not the greatest thing that a baseball player can win. You're supposed to hype up the game. You're supposed to say like, hey, this is the greatest honor that you can win in our game. We want to take that seriously. And if you cheated your way into winning the greatest honor you can in our great league, then I'm going to take it away from you. But no, he doesn't care. He just seems like he doesn't care about baseball. And on a day when the NBA had its greatest all-star game ever, Major League Baseball had a trending hashtag, Fire Manfred, which says quite a bit. And people were just beyond upset. Baseball Twitter has erupted against the Houston Astros and against Rob Manfred. And the one thing he did say that I'm okay with is that he's like, okay, we're not going to tolerate people beating Astros players. I get that. That makes sense. I I just don't know anymore with this whole... There's something else is going to come out over the next couple of weeks, and it's just going to get worse and worse. I j any ballpark that is going to host the Houston Astros for the 2020 season, expect a lot of hilarious signs Expect a lot of people bringing trash cans and banging them. Expect a lot of people bringing big buzzing devices like, it's a fastball, it's a slider. So it's going to be freaking hysterical to see what fans are going to do when the Astros come to town. As long as players are going to be mature about it, because beating them is, is not the right response to the situation. 
So the, these punishments are insane. And then, speaking of punishments, we saw Manchester City's punishment, and there were people who were basically saying, MLB, take a lesson out of UEFA's book. You know, Manchester City gets banned from the Champions League. Banned. Not allowed to play in Europe's biggest competition for two seasons because they breach financial fair play regulations. So the breaches essentially were... They didn't send UEFA bank statements for, I think, two years. Um, Their owner funneled money into the club, claiming it came from different sponsorships, but it was actually his own money, allowing City to have more money to buy players. So Manchester City is giving themselves, in a sense, an unfair competitive edge. That's probably the best way to describe it. They're funneling more money into the club, not telling UEFA truthfully where that money is coming from, to buy more, better players, and giving themselves an unfair competitive advantage. Does what they did affect the results on the pitch? Not really, because even though you can buy more players, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win more games. Yes, Manchester City has been an incredible club since new ownership. The last two years, two Premier League titles, they won everything you could in England, but they didn't win the Champions League. But they still have that same team this year, and they're losing more games. But they didn't cheat in-game. The Astros cheated in-game, gave themselves a competitive advantage to influence results, to influence their batters, to make them better so they could win more games. And they got a slap on the wrist compared to Manchester City. So seriously, MLB, take a page out of UEFA's book. UEFA didn't take away. I mean, you can't take away Manchester City's titles. I think that'd be up to the uh, to the Football Association, not to UEFA. But you break some financial fair play rules, you give yourself a slight competitive advantage when it comes to getting players off the transfer market. You get a two year ban from the Champions League. You cheat your way to a World Series title. I don't care what people say about they didn't have away games. It seems like the buzzing devices might have been a thing. We still don't have conclusive evidence that it is, in fact, a thing. But the Astros cheated their way to win a championship. It is not stripped. They got a $5 million fine, which is nothing to them. And all of that happened was that their manager and their GM got fired. And they weren't even the top minds behind it. You had Cora. You had Beltron. Players. Top ownership within the organization. So it's just a joke. Baseball is just a joke at this point. Soccer, not as much. I think UEFA's punishment makes sense. Man City's appealing it. I think the best that they can get with their appeal is they don't get suspended from UEFA competitions for the 2021-22 season, and it would just be for next season. But what does this mean for Manchester City going forward? Well, I actually saw a tweet that said that a lawyer claims that because Manchester City's breaches violate the terms of some player contracts that players could potentially leave as free agents so if that is the case if kevin de bruyne wants to leave manchester city someone could pick him up for free theoretically that would be crazy but i think the biggest effect that it's going to have for this season in the premier league now we have something to watch in the premier league season you know this entire season has just been liverpool and that's it you know liverpool's going to win the title now we got something to watch for when it comes to who's going to finish top five six and seven because we're at a point where Sheffield United or Wolverhampton Wanderers could play in the Champions League next season. Sheffield United could be at least a Europa. I think Sheffield United's going to be a Europa League team because if Man City finish anywhere in that top four spot, 
fifth place is going to make the Champions League. Sixth and sixth place is going to make the Europa League. So Sheffield United to go from being in the championship a season ago and then to qualify for potentially Europa League or even Champions League football would be incredible. I mean, Wolves did the same thing last year. They came in seventh. They made the Europa League. They're going to play on Thursday in their first uh, knockout game. If Sheffield United were able to make the Champions League, uh, that would be a story and a half for sure. But, you know, the Premier League season we know is already over. Liverpool are going to win the title. But the title races around everywhere else in world football are getting better, I would say, especially in Italy. In the big clash of the weekend, Lazio beat Inter Milan 2-1, a comeback victory, winning goal from Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Ciro Immobile scored his 26th goal of the season. He is the top scorer among the top five leagues. He's having a season to remember. Watch out for him for Italy in the Euros. But that win for Lazio puts them one point behind Juve in second place in the Serie A table. Inter at 54 points in third. Lazio at 56 points in second. Juventus in first place on 57 points. So for me, the best title race to watch is in Serie A because you've got three teams that are beating each other, you know, back and forth. They're sort of, you know, getting a couple of bad losses, getting a couple of bad results. You know, Juve lost recently to Hellas Verona. By the way, Hellas Verona, newly promoted, sixth place in Serie A. That's remarkable as well. Parma in seventh, too, all ahead of Napoli and AC Milan. If there's a title race you want to watch this season for the rest of the winter and going into the spring, Serie A is the one. Bundesliga is not too bad either. Bayern Munich is still in the lead, but... Not by much. Only one point ahead of RB Leipzig. Dortmund and Mönchengladbach are in the mix as well. And then La Liga, it's going to come down to the El Clasico game. You know, Real Madrid have a three-point lead on Barcelona right now. Or one-point lead, I should say, excuse me. So Real Madrid on 53 points, Barcelona on 52 points. It's going to come down to El Clasico, so... Just mark it on your calendar. I'm going to check the date right now so I know exactly. March 1st. So it's in a couple of weeks. Sunday, March 1st, 3 p.m. from the Bernabeu, Real Madrid against Barcelona in El Clasico, potentially for the La Liga title. So book that on your calendar. That's a big date for the first day of March. But guess what? The Champions League is back. I'm so excited for the Champions League. I cannot wait to see how it's all going to go down. It begin, It resumes, restarts on Tuesday. Atletico Liverpool, very curious to see the lineup that Jurgen Klopp is going to put out there for the Reds as they return to the stadium where they won the Champions League back in June. Atletico Madrid is going to have to find a way to score goals because Liverpool's offensively, I think, will be able to break down Atletico Madrid defensively. Madrid can't defend forever against Liverpool. But the Dortmund-PSG game, which sadly is not the game that's going to be on television, once again, TNT, Turner Sports, their coverage of the Champions League is kind of embarrassing. I'm glad CBS bought the rights for next season from next so 21 22 the champions league rights go to cbs because it's the round of 16 there are two games a day now for the rest of the champions league in every single one of the rounds they're only putting one game on tnt there's another game on i would love to watch dortmund and psg i want to see holland sancho and royce go up against neymar mbappe and Di Maria. I would love to see that. That's going to be an incredible game to watch. But you got to pay for BR Live. 
you could easily put this game on True TV, TBS. What's True TV showing at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday that somebody's watching? Where you can just say, let's put the soccer game on. Give somebody another option. That's just stupid. It's just stupid. We want to watch Dorman and PSG. I want to have both games on. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, so obviously I'm gonna want to watch Liverpool. But at the same time, Dorman's playing PSG. These are the best young attacking players in world football. Potentially the two best young strikers in the world, Mbappe and Holland, going against each other. And I would have to pay for BR Live to watch it. So I just think that's just dumb. So Tuesday is gonna be fun. Wednesday. Looking forward to the Tottenham RB Leipzig game. Atalanta Valencia could be exciting, but obviously not really the top billing matchup that you would want to see in a Champions League round of 16. But Tottenham RB Leipzig will be good. You know, Timo Werner, Marcel Sabitzer, uh, Son, you've got Bergwin maybe will play for Tottenham. So once again, another good encounter with a lot of young, uh, you know, prolific attackers for both sides. Jose Mourinho going up against. Uh, RB Leipzig, the new German giants, as people would say. And I actually didn't realize there's a couple of videos out there that RB Leipzig is one of the most hated clubs in Germany because, you know, Red Bull essentially helped buy their way to becoming successful, which is kind of interesting to see. I would check out some stuff about that. I think Bleacher Report did a report on it uh, during their Champions League coverage in the group stage. That was actually good. You know, Bleacher Report and TNT, they're actual, like, stories and features about the champions league i think is fantastic but their decisions on broadcasting games and when games are on and all of that that's just dumb because on wednesday i'll get tottenham rb leipzig on tnt but if you're an atalanta or valencia fan living in the united states you're gonna have to pay for br live or you know pay for the match one-time payment so you can watch it so that's just kind of stupid it's 2020. Soccer coverage shouldn't be what it was like back in 2004 when you had to pay $50 to watch a Euro group stage game on pay-per-view. That's it, man. Premier League, I can watch four or five games a weekend with just my basic cable plan. And there's two Champions League games on, and you're telling me I can only watch one with my basic cable plan? Dumb. D-U-M-B. Dumb. So yeah, there's, that's the end of my Champions League coverage rant. So looking forward to the games and how that's going to all go down. Europa League on Thursday. Uh, Arsenal, Man U, Wolves, a couple other big big teams are going to play. But Tuesday's the day. Tuesday's the day. We're back to European football. But we're going to end this podcast with not formal sports talk like we just did for the last 27 minutes. I wanted to uh, give you guys an update on what is going on in our unbreakable individual record bracket that started... Uh, about a week ago, literally a week ago, it started last Monday. We are currently in the midst of the first round. I just wanted to uh, thank you guys all for voting. If you want to vote, it's uh, in our Instagram stories at Total Sports Score every day, two matchups a day until March 16th. The final will be the day after Selection Sunday. So essentially, the bracket is going to end on the last day before March Madness technically begins because March 17th will be the first four in Dayton. So the bracket continues throughout the month of February going into March uh, 16th, which will be the day of the final. Two matchups a day. Uh, some of the surprises that uh, we're seeing in the play-in matchups, uh, not too many big surprises. There's a couple of records here that could potentially go far. You know, Hack Wilson, 191 RBIs in a season, a record that not a lot of people know about. 
you know, easily defeated Roger Federer's uh, grass uh, consecutive wins record. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's Champions League record, I was very surprised by how much it beat Owen Morgan's uh, sixes record. My personal opinion on it is I thought Morgan is the more unbreakable record considering, uh, you know, in cricket, very hard to hit 17, let alone like 14 or 13 sixes in a single ODI innings. Whereas for Cristiano Ronaldo's Champions League record, Lionel Messi could very well break that record maybe next season or in two or three seasons after that because Messi is younger than Ronaldo. So that's kind of my personal opinion on that matter. And then we've only had a couple of first-round matchups. We could be on the verge of an upset, which is kind of surprising. But for some reason, um, sorry, slight pause here because the highlight, I have to edit the highlight. I don't know what is going on with this thing. Um, so I essentially... I'm keeping track of all of the matchups through uh, uh, Instagram story highlights. I checked the highlight of the first round and it only had the two live matchups and the other four just disappeared. So just had to re-add them back. So far, the first round has been pretty straightforward, but a potential upset brewing in the first round. By the time you're listening to this, there'll probably only be like a few hours left in the polls, but Ichiro, most hits in a season, which was a play-in record that advanced, uh, might beat Lionel Messi's European goals in a season. So the baseball record potentially coming through and making it to round number two. Uh, the first round is going to continue throughout the month of February. Uh, today is the final two first round matchups in our red region, which is the top left region. And then on Tuesday, we begin the second region on the left side, which is the white region. So be sure to keep voting on that and keep your eyes peeled for more. And now we're going to end the podcast with predictions for the Laureus World Sporting Awards. I might have done this uh, before, said uh, who I think should win, but I don't know. I don't know which podcast I did that on. I think I did it a couple weeks back. They announced the nominees on the 15th of January. And today is the day they're deciding the winner. So 20th anniversary of the Laureus World Sporting Awards. And I thought it would be a good time to say who I think should win and uh, who I think is going to win kind of thing. So Sportsman of the Year uh, nominees, you've got Elliot Kipchoge, Lewis Hamilton, Lionel Messi, Tiger Woods, Rafael Nadal, and Mark Marquez, who is a uh, moto uh, motorcycle rider. Uh, for me, I think the winner of Sportsman of the Year, this is for 2019, basically. I think it should be Rafael Nadal. Two Grand Slam individual titles helped win the Labor Cup with Team Europe and helped win the Davis Cup with Spain, I think. It makes the most sense for him to win the Sportsman of the Year Award for Sportswoman. Nominees include Allison Felix, Megan Rapino, Michaela Schifrin, Simone Biles, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, and Naomi Osaka. I think it's between Rapino and Biles. I personally think that Biles should win. I think it would be the fourth time she would win the Sportswoman of the Year Award. Uh, on our Instagram today, we're going to be looking back at the last 20 winners of all the Laureus Awards. So keep your eyes peeled on those graphics. Any cool winners you see there? Feel free to comment on the post. I think Biles should win because, you know, Megan Rapino, while she was the best player in women's soccer for 2019, soccer is a team game. Sportswoman of the year, Simone Biles, once again, the best gymnast in the world, breaking the record for the most world championship medals, which is in our bracket. Uh, team of the year, you've got Liverpool, Mercedes F1, South Africa Rugby, USA Women's Soccer, the Raptors, and Spain Basketball. Uh, I think because it's for a whole of 2019, I'd go with Liverpool 
You know, the U.S. women only played seven games to win their World Cup. Liverpool, for the entire entire calendar year of 2019, basically have only lost maybe two or three games, winning a Champions League, winning a Club World Cup, winning the Super Cup, and on the verge of having an invincible season in the Premier League. So Liverpool would be my pick for Team of the Year. Breakthrough of the Year. You've got Andy Ruiz Jr., Bianca Andreescu, Coco Goff, Reagan Smith, Japan Rugby, and Egan Bernal. This, I think, is a very tough category. You know, Andy Ruiz Jr. beat Anthony Joshua. He did lose, so I think that kind of takes him out of the running since he lost to Joshua in December. Bianca Andreescu, 19 years old, winning the U.S. Open, the first Canadian to win a Grand Slam. Coco Goff at the age of 15, you know, the youngest to advance to the third or fourth round of a Grand Slam event. She's been fantastic. Reagan Smith at the Swimming World Championships at just 17 years old, setting uh, two world records in the 200 and 100 meter backstroke. She is set up to win some gold medals in Tokyo this summer. Japan Rugby made it all the way to the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup as hosts, and the Nigan Bernal became the youngest Tour de France winner ever from Colombia. Uh, I think Reagan Smith, because she was just breaking a bunch of world records, no problem. I think Coco Goff is probably second, followed by Andreescu, but I, I would give the breakthrough of the year to Reagan Smith. Comeback of the year, you've got Andy Murray, uh, Lealifano, a Christian Lealifano. He's a rugby player from Australia. You've got Kawhi Leonard, Sophia Florsch, who is a female motorcycle rider, uh, Nathan Adrian, and Liverpool. So I think Liverpool out of the running here. Uh, I would say it's probably Nathan Adrian. Nathan Adrian was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he beat cancer, and then he came to the World Swimming Championships and won some medals. So for me, you got to pick someone like Nathan Adrian. Uh, and then you have sports person with a disability of the year award. I don't know too much about this stuff, but I do know who Oksana Masters is, a former Illinois athlete. She is a Paralympic skier. Uh, but other nominees include Alice Tai, Didi DeGroote, Jetse Plot, Omara Durand, and Manuel Schar. So those are the sports person with disability uh, nominees. And then action sports person of the year, you have a couple of surfers, Carissa Moore and Italo Ferreira. You could see them in the Olympics. Chloe Kim, the snowboard extraordinaire. Mark McMorris, another snowboarder. Uh, Nigel Huston, the skateboarder. And then you have a 11-year-old Brazilian skateboarder in Raisa Lille. So some cool nominees. And also Lorius uh, did a vote for the best sporting moment of the millennium, essentially, and more sporting moment just in terms of, you know, powerful. So, for example, one of the final nominations is uh, Chapa Kense, you know, how the Brazilian club whose team died in a plane crash, how the football world kind of united behind them, and that was just a powerful moment in sports. So that's on their website. And the awards are today, so we'll see who's going to win them. But should be an exciting week of sports. Champions League pretty much the biggest thing going on over the weekend, you know, you're back to regular season, NBA, NHL, college hoops, still going strong. And then we finally will hit the month of March and then March madness will be upon us. And we also will be close to baseball season where hopefully nobody will be using trash cans or buzzers to no pitches. Okay. That's the end of the pod. Thank you for listening at total sports on Instagram. Make sure to check out the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. I'm Ori Benatar. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Total Score Podcast. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next time.